Luke chapter 5 is where we're at. And um, I had you talk about uh, a fish story because we're going to talk about Jesus and Peter. They have a fish story together. And, and my connection with fish is not real great, um, but I don't, I, mean, I, I don't mind fish, but I don't really like fish, as you probably remember from a story I told you in the past. But um, growing up, uh, my grandfather loved to fish, and my middle brother loves to fish, and, and so they took us out fishing, and I hate to fish. Uh, I just don't get it. It seems boring to me and all of that. Sorry if you like to fish, but maybe you can enlighten me. I don't know. Um, but we went out on the boat, and, and <laughs> I, you know, being the, the young, um, <clears throat> older brother, I just, you know, threw a tantrum and a fit. And um, so they got me Pringles, chocolate, and pop, and that was good. So that's what I did in the boat. That was the first part. The second part um, instance with fishing was my wife and I, I was doing some premarital counseling with a couple, and he loves to fish but doesn't like to do counseling. And so I said, well, why don't we do one of the sessions on your boat while you go fish? Oh, yes, he lit up. So we did that. My wife and I and him and his fiance, we went on the boat, and we went fishing while well, we did, we kind of did some premarital counseling. Um, but um, he, I said, I don't know how to fish. I don't like to put the, the worm on the hook. I don't like to touch the fish. I know I'm a wimp that way, but don't problem. I'll do it all for you, and, and, and we'll just go out fishing. And he, I mean, he's an avid, diehard fisher person. And um, he was going to show me how it was done. We... My wife and I both got the rods, and, and they did theirs, and we got start fishing, and all of a sudden, my wife, I think, caught the first fish, and then I caught the first, the second one, and then the third one, and then the fourth one, and the fifth one, the sixth one, and the seventh one, and they he didn't catch any. <laughs> and I'm going, well, maybe beginner's luck, I don't know. But that was my only instance of fishing, and I will probably never do it again, but there you go. Which leads us to Luke chapter 5. Because Jesus is going to have this incredible fish story with Peter and his disciples. And before we get into that story, I want to give you a little bit of backstory because it helps us understand what's going on in Luke chapter 5. And we, and we remember we talked about how Luke, in the first four chapters, gives us a genealogy, gives us um, the birth of John the Baptist gives us what John the Baptist did, prepares the way for Christ, gives us the birth of Jesus, and, and then um, gives us, well, okay, the genealogy came after the birth of Jesus, and then um, he talks about Jesus in that little instance with the temple when he was 12, uh, and then he, he threw in the statement that he grew both in stature and wisdom and in favor with man and his parents, and and that he was obedient to them, and then we don't hear anything for 18 years, and then he began his ministry at age around 30-ish or so, somewhere in there, and um, we see him being baptized, the Spirit comes on him, and then he's being led out into the wilderness, and he's tempted, and, and then the remaining part of that chapter, he goes and does um, some different, he begins that public part of his ministry where he begins to do some miracles. He um, uh, takes care of um, a demon and a possessed person. And so he has authority over the, the spiritual realm. And, and then we see this next part in chapter 4 where he um, has an interaction with Peter, 
who was called Simon at the time, Simon, and his mother-in-law. And so we begin to understand in Scripture that, that Jesus and Simon, Peter, they, they've had this relationship, some kind of a relationship, just not really sure what the depth of this, but they both um, knew each other, and, and Matthew and the different Gospels kind of explain that as well, that these disciples that Jesus is calling, which is what we're going to get into, that there's some kind of prior knowledge, and, and he knew and understood that, that Jesus is um, the Messiah or something, whatever that meant for them at that time, and that he was powerful because he came in and his mother-in-law had a high, high fever, and Jesus spoke, and the fever went away, and she immediately began to feel better and have energy and began to serve the, the people that were around her. And so we read this, and we begin to understand that there is this connection, um, because th- we can read this story in Luke chapter 5, and we can go into it thinking that, wow, this is incredible, that they didn't have any kind of previous knowledge of each other, and all of a sudden, this happens. And I want us to understand that there, there was some previous um, knowledge, there was some relationship that happened, um, but yet they... Um, continued as fishermen. And so it leads us to um, Luke chapter 5. And I want to go into um, this story um, together. And so you can look at your Bibles, you can follow along up on the screen, but we're going to kind of go a little verse by verse here, and then we're going to talk about um, some lessons that we can learn from this story, and then we'll, we'll um, be done. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. This is the Sea of Galilee, and there's shores around it, and this is probably the northwest part of that area, and I can imagine that, um, that it was a bustling area, and there was uh, boats, ships, that are around 20 to 30 feet long, they, they surmise, that were all the way along there. And there was just probably a lot of people that were there. It was kind of a bustling area. And you see the fishermen, they were done for the day and getting ready for the next part of their, of their <clears throat> job. And so here comes Jesus, and he's walking along, and, and, and it, the text says that the people were following him, and they're wanting to... I imagine that they were curious as to who this person is, that he is, you know, they probably heard these stories of him healing, and not only that, but he's speaking the word of God. He's speaking out loud the word of God, and it's just, it's so intriguing to them that they're beginning to crowd around him. And, and um, he's, you know, I can imagine that he's, like, the, the Sea of Galilee is here, here's Jesus, See a gal, he's here, here's Jesus, and here are the crowds, and they're crowding around him, and they're kind of, you know how crowds get, they just kind of, they're not, um, it's hard to contain sometimes, and so they're pushing, 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 and I imagine it's like one of those things where he goes, well, I'm either going to do this next thing, or I'm going to, you know, be doused in the water, and so this is what Jesus does. He saw at the water's edge two boats, and let, left, left, left there, by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And so Jesus, um, 
he sees these two boats and goes, all right, this is what I'm going to do. He probably knew, don't know for sure, that these were um, Simon's and the other um, Andrew and James and John and such. Um, but we don't know that for sure, but probably knew that. And, and so he then, um, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, <laughs> when I read that, and my wife read that this week, and she goes, I mean, what do you think happened? How, how did that happen that Jesus, I mean, if that happened today where, where someone was walking along, and they saw a boat, and it was empty, and there was somebody maybe doing whatever on the side, and they just walked in the boat. I mean, we would be upset, right? I mean, who, who do you think you are getting into my property? We would be upset at this person, and we would ask them to leave and, and don't set foot in my boat again, um, even if they were somewhat familiar with them. And, and, and it doesn't happen that way here. And so Jesus gets into the boat. He, you know, doesn't say if he asked him or didn't ask him. And, um, you know, and so he asked, and Simon gets in with him, and he, he said, Laura, let's push out from shore. And they push out from shore a little bit because I'm sure the people were pushing and, and, and jostling and all of that. And Jesus sits down and begins to continue teaching from the boat. So when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now this is very, my pen's not working. That's all right. This is very ironic that a son of a carpenter is telling a professional fisherman what to do. Can you imagine what's going on in Peter's brain here with this this man named Jesus, who is the son of a carpenter, is telling Peter how he should run his business. But I'm guessing because Peter has had previous experience with Jesus and saw that he healed his mother-in-law very miraculously, said, all right, I don't understand what you're doing, and I don't think you know what you're talking about, but because I know who you are, and because I saw maybe what you did to heal my mother-in-law, I'm going to say this. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I mean, that to me is just incredible, an incredible response to this, really, I think, I mean, think about it. Here, Peter is saying to, first of all, he calls him master, and so there's some level of respect that's going on between Peter and Jesus right there. Secondly, he, he, something must have happened in the past, right, for, for Peter to have been able to say, you know, we've worked, in essence, what he's kind of saying is, listen, I, I don't know if you know that I'm a fisherman, but I am, and we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught a thing, and I'm sure he said, I'm tired and I, this is not going to work. The best time to fish, those that know fishing right, is not during the day, the heat of the day, right? Yes? No fishermen in here? No idea. No idea. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay, I won't say a joke there. Um, but <laughs> so I'm guessing it's more towards sunrise or sunset. Yes? 
Okay, good. All right. So, obviously, Peter knew that. I'm guessing Jesus knew that, too. But um, <laughs> here he said, and then Peter says, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw out all conventional wisdom here, and I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to trust because I have a feeling or I know who you are. And Peter says, all right, because you say so, I will let down the nets. And it's interesting that, that Simon was obedient, uh, and he's maybe not believing, or that's probably part of it, or maybe not knowing. He certainly doesn't know what's going to happen next, certainly doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. But Peter says yes, and he takes that first step of obedience. And when we think about that, that's really what our faith story is all about, isn't it? Is that we encounter Christ and we say yes to him and it's kind of scary. But we take that first step of obedience not knowing what's going to be on the other side and that's exactly what Peter is doing here with this, with this fish story. And so then... It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats so full that they began to sink. Now, continue to imagine this scene. You have Jesus and Peter, and I don't know who else was in that boat, 20 to 30 feet long. And he says, I'm tired and I know we're not going to catch any fish, but because you say so, I'm going to be obedient, and so we're just going to throw out the nets. I'm guessing there was that kind of an attitude. Okay, here we go. Nothing's going to happen, but here we go. And he throws out the nets, and they do it. And all of a sudden, they catch this enormous amount of fish, so much so that, that Simon has to signal his partners to bring the other boat, and they begin to pull all these fish in that boat, and then it fills up the other boat so much so that it begins to sink. And I'm guessing they're going, whoa, there's elation on one hand. There's kind of this fear on the other. What's going to happen? And it's just an incredible, incredible scene surrounding this um, fish story. I've always thought, what is Jesus doing during this time? I mean, is he going down and helping them pull the nets out, or is he one that's standing there going, I told you so, you know, <laughs> that's, I don't know, can Jesus be smug, I don't know, there's that smile that, see, and he's just kind of has that, I don't know what it is, but let your, let your mind imagine there what that might be like. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, if you're reading this story, and this is the first time that you're reading it, and you're thinking, well, this is not exactly the reaction that I would have when this event happened as a professional fisherman. I mean, this is not what probably most of us would do, right? When we would get this 
amazing amount of fish into our boats, into both boats, and we're just overflowing. And it's probably the biggest haul we've ever had. Our mind begins to naturally think, wow, you know, Jesus, have you ever thought about a job change? You could partner with us. You know, we could build more ships, and we could call it the Jesus Fish Company or whatever it is, and your mind begins to go, right? That's just what we do. And we can build bigger buildings and, and all this kind of thing and have more ships and hire more people and all of that. And that's probably what most people would do. But here we see something that Peter responds differently to that. And he begins to feel something inside of him that he probably hasn't, maybe has been led up to, but then this just explodes it in his heart and he falls to his knees in this boat with all of this fish there. And he says, go away from me, Lord. He calls him Lord for I am a sinful man. He witnesses something that's so incredible, so miraculous in his little area. Everything that led up to it probably played into it as well. And he goes, he realizes more than just um, a uh, business venture that's happening here. Something supernatural is happening. And Peter recognizes that, recognizes, I think, really the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus at that moment. And he falls down and he says, I am not worthy of you, and to be here, to be near you, you know, go away. I think Peter was overwhelmed with his unworthiness as a man. And it's interesting to me that it's in the midst of probably his greatest achievement as a fisherman that Jesus decides to make this beautiful story for you and I in the midst of that Jesus or Peter falls down and is overwhelmed by his unworthiness I don't know if you've ever felt that For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. I think <clears throat> that Simon and the other men that were with him began to realize that this was no ordinary fishing venture, that this was not an accident, that this was on purpose, that Jesus was trying to teach them something or do something incredible, and something incredible happens. I mean, really, if you think about it, who, who does this? I mean, Jesus has um, taken Peter's humble faith 
And in essence, he scared him to death, right, with God's presence. But in the uncertainty that surrounds faith, often comes, comes, comes down to this divine um, honoring of its presence in, in a calm voice. I mean, that's what's beginning to happen, right? And I, I imagine that Jesus' eyes, you look into his eyes, and, and it's just... It's, um, um, calming sense that you, you ever been in a situation where there is this chaos all around and you look at your spouse or someone that you trust and, and they're not panicky and in their eyes you can just, no words are spoken in your eyes, you can just see and it's going to be okay. I imagine that to the nth degree with Jesus. That Peter is falling down on his knees, overwhelmed with his unworthiness, and, and Jesus looks at him with his eyes and he says, Don't be afraid. And then he says this weird statement. <laughs> I imagine Peter's going, What? From now on, you will fish for people. Okay, that's kind of weird. Right? I'm overwhelmed with. <laughs> my unworthiness, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. And that just has to have been weird for them. But I think, you know, Luke doesn't tell us everything that's going on there, but I think they're beginning to understand that there is something spiritual and that Jesus is calling them to be his disciples. I mean, that kind of thing happens happened a lot during that time when Jesus lived on this earth. I mean, there were a lot of priests that would call, or leaders, spiritual leaders that would look for disciples and who would call their disciples. So that happened a lot. And I'm guessing that Peter and James and John and Andrew and all the disciples were, were men who would never have been picked to be a part of um, somebody's net of discipleship. But yet, here we have Jesus going, right, and turning this completely upside down and saying, I want you, Simon. I want you, Andrew. I want you, James. And I want you, John, and the rest of the disciples. And we begin to hear their story later. But I want you. And, I, and what you're going to do is you're going to begin to fish for people. And then it finishes with this simple statement. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I mean, to me, that's such an anticlimactic statement in this story. I mean, they pulled their boats up, they left everything, and they followed him. Here's the biggest amount of fish they've ever caught, and I'm sure there's excitement, and people are probably witnessing this and going, ah, this is cool, you know, this is awesome, let me talk about your fish story. And they had the greatest fish story ever, and they decided to leave it all and to follow Christ. Can you imagine the amount of questions that are going on, maybe with his family, um, just with people in general? Are you, are you silly? Are you crazy for doing this? And, and that, to me, is a great, great picture of what it takes when Christ calls your name and you fall on your knees, right, overwhelmed with your um, unworthiness and you say yes to him 
And because of what Jesus did on the cross, paid for your sins, his righteousness is credited to you. And it's nothing that you have done. It's everything that he has done. And because of that, he pulls you up and he gives you a new life and you're his. And he says, I want to work through you. Probably somebody that's never going to really be picked, right? I mean, Peter, Simon thought, well, my sin, my past, I'm not worthy to be a disciple of someone. But Jesus said, that's exactly the person I want. That's exactly the person that I'm looking for. So Simon left everything and he followed Jesus. What can we learn, just real quickly as we end here, what can we learn from this story? This, I think four things. Jesus' ways are not our ways, right? Jesus begins to introduce that he is not going to pick his disciples the way that all the other religious leaders of his <clears throat> excuse me, contemporary time picked them. He was going to pick the ones, right, that were the tax collectors, the sinners of the day, the, the, nor, the not normal, just the, um, the outcasts, right, the ones that nobody wanted. And he, that's the people that he was going to pick. Um, and so Jesus was not going to do things the way that everybody else was, do, was going to do them. And that theme carries out through all of Scripture. And that theme really carries out into our life as well. Right? That we have to lose our life to gain our life. And there's so many things that just seem to be upside down in this, in this life that Jesus is calling us to. And this begins that journey. That Jesus' ways are not our ways are not the world's ways. And here's the second one. The prerequisite for, to, for ser or to serve is humility and an awareness of our sin. And that to me is the key of this story, is that Simon recognized Jesus' righteousness, his holiness, and, and just fell down, overwhelmed his unworthiness, and in his humility, his humility, right, and his awareness of a sinful state, said, I am not worthy, and that's exactly what Jesus is looking for. There's no presumption there from Peter that God owed him anything. And it's clear that Jesus is saying that this humble approach to God, this humble approach to him, is exactly who he is looking for. And I think that Peter represents all disciples in the sense of his humility and his awareness of his sin did not disqualify him from being a disciple or from service. Rather, they are the prerequisite for people who are going to be a part of the kingdom of God. I mean, think about in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah. And just their humility and their unworthiness that they felt in their life and how God used them mightily in the Old Testament. And that story is being played out over and over and over and over again in God's word. You see, God doesn't need 
or wants servants who think they're doing him a favor. Jesus calls um, those who know they need to be humble before his power and his presence so that he can get all the glory. So it doesn't become something that Kevin did. It's something that Christ has done through Kevin. And Peter knows that he's not worthy, but in Christ, he is worthy, and that makes all the difference. Here's the third thing. No one who genuinely meets Jesus ever stays the same. You see, a genuine meeting with Christ alters one's perspective. Peter's perspective changed. He had a major career change in his life. Professional fisherman providing for his family to now dropping everything, leaving it, and following Jesus and <clears throat> was going to be a part of the greatest movement in the history of mankind. Right? Someone that's unlikely. But because of his humility, because of his awareness of his sin and saying yes and following him wherever, whenever, however, with whoever. That's who Jesus is looking for. But a transformation begins to happen in someone who's met Christ and they've been given a new life and they begin to know God and they begin to see him for all his glory and who he is and they begin to grow and treasure in him above all things, above money and, and, and even family and um, things and all of that. They treasure him above all things and it just changes them. And so then it becomes a situation where all right, what do I need to do? And that's where this last one comes into play. To be in is to be all in. We see that with Simon. We see that with the disciples, that they had this incredible encounter on the boat, the greatest fish story there was, and they decided to leave everything and follow him. And that's what is expected of us for those who say yes to him and our son and his daughter, that we are to, to be in to be his son, to be his daughter, we're to be all in. We're to be all in. And in essence, we have a career change. We have a career change. We really, really do. We are now to be disciplers of Christ. And we're, we're disciplers who make disciples, who then make disciples. That's what we do. That's what happened when Christ came into our life. And the cool thing is, is that, yes, you could still be a doctor. Yes, you can still and insert whatever vocation you have. But that's secondary, in my opinion. Your main job as a follower of Christ is to make disciples who make disciples. In your neighborhood, at your workplace, with your family, or wherever God puts you. And your vocation is just that place that you happen to be at. And he's gifted you in that area. And that's important. But to be in is to be all in. There's this phrase that I saw this week, and it says this. While they all fall in love with her smile, she waits for one who will fall in love with her scars. And that hit me. <laughs> I know that's a little mushy. But I think that's, that's you and I. That really, really is you know, they all fall in love with his personality or, or her smile, but what 
you and I really want is someone who will love me for all of my scars, my imperfections, everything that I've hidden inside of me. I want somebody who's going to love me unconditionally. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. Because every person around you is going to fail you at some point in their love for you. Because we can't. We can't do it like Christ can because we're not perfect. And to me, that's the main story on Luke 5, 1 through 11. That I believe when Jesus looked down at Peter, there was some kind of unspoken thing that happened. That Peter knew that here was a man that was going to love him, not just for his abilities, but he was going to love all of him, all of his scars, all of his unworthiness. And he was going to take that and he was going to use that to impact the world. That same thing that happened with Peter happens with you. A lot was written about Peter. That's just an example. I'm convinced that there's no less effectiveness. You know, we read about Peter and everything that happened to him and what he did. But God wants to do the same thing through you. Those of you that are sitting right here, right now, he wants to use you, whether you are 10, 15, 18, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, I don't know if there's anybody, 110. He wants to use all of you. And there's no retirement age, and there's no beginning age. It's just whenever you come to know Christ, you've given this new vocation. You're to be all in with him, and you say yes to him. And because you love him, because you know him, because you desire him, you say, I want to use you and all of your imperfections and all of your abilities and all of that. And I don't care if you mess up because... I'm going to love you anyway, and, and you're going to repent, and you're going to come back, and it's just going to be this process that we're going to do till I bring you home. But in the meantime, while you're still on this earth, I want you to please tell other people about what's happened to you. Who better than to do that than a fish, right, who's been pulled out. I'm using this corny analogy of the fish story. A fish has been pulled out by someone and has been transformed, right? And it's been loved and all of that. Who better to tell other fish that than someone who's been affected by it, right? That's why God is using you and I. We're not the ones who do it. Christ does it through us, but he uses us. He is the agent. I mean, we are his people that he uses in all of our unworthiness. But because God loves us and all of that, he transforms us. That, to me, is the point. And so I pray, I really do, I'm excited for what God is going to do through you. I cannot wait to hear stories about how God is using, I mean, and, and I love my wife, and I love how God uses her in so many different ways, and I love her passion for this if gathering, I love, I mean, there's one thing about her that she just gets excited, and she's going to do this thing, um, there's going to be a table being built from some friends, and they're going to bring it, and I know she's not, uh, I'm going to share it anyway. But it's going to be um, probably in her front yard. And I'm not so excited about a table in my front yard. But I'm not going to say no to it because I know that God has put that in her heart. And, and she's just going to be out there. And, there's gonna, and she's, she knows she's scared. 
But God, can you use that? And just when people are walking, we have people walking by our house all the time. And, and people walking their dogs or whatever. And, and, and hopefully God's going to use that for them just to say, hey, come and join me for coffee. And in that, they're going to see her passion for Christ and her love for Jesus. And they're going to go, what's different about you? And that's just one instance. I can't wait to hear all the stories about how God's going to use you in that way because you have been fall, you've fallen on your knees in him in humility and you're aware of your sin and you've cried out to him and you said yes and he says, come be my son, come be my daughter. Amen? <laughs> this is going to be fun and I hope you're ready for an incredible ride at Bonnie Life Church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for um, your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for Peter and for this story and the challenge that it brought to my heart, God. And I pray for everyone here, God, that our hearts would be ignited to be people who are all in for you. God, help us to be like Simon that when we are encountered you, that we're being transformed and God, we just leave everything and we follow you. God, we love you. God, I love this family. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.